0: Carlson, Carlson. Hoj här kommer Carlson. 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 Ingen faktiskt ingen annan Carlson som bra som mig. Carlson. Carlson. Carlson scores. Carlson. Carlson.
1: Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are so sorry for recommending drafting Linus Allmark this year. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, the fantasy hockey robot, Brian Kamm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Yeah, I mean, we had the Best
2: intentions, suggesting you draft Allmark and Cam Talbot and Mackenzie Blackwood, like these were three goalies who we all had big designs for this year, and neither one has had much of a chance to prove themselves. So hopefully you had some good plan B's C's and D's for those guys.
1: Yeah, to be fair, Allmark, Talbot, and Blackwood have all been great when they've played. It's just, unfortunately, especially for Allmark now, at least a month, we'll get to him in just a sec. Real bummer for anyone who was excited to get him back when Buffalo finally started playing again. He was looking good, and then bye. But, okay, Brian, you know who's not saying bye? Us! We've got a big, long show! So we're saying hello to everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Keeping Carlson. And we've got a doozy. So many injuries, outjuries, hot streaks, cold streaks, all the goods. We're going to be with you for at least 90 minutes, probably more. So strap in. And before we get into it, though, of course, let's thank our favorite website in the world who is presenting this podcast, DobberHockey.com. That is your source for all your fantasy hockey news. You got your articles, daily ramblings, and then, of course, Frozen Tools, the number one tools website. I use that to prep every show and to plan out all of my fantasy comings and goings. That's how I play fantasy, is I'm over there at Frozen Tools and DobberHockey.com. Check it out. But with that, Brian, okay, let's get into these injuries and start with Linus Allmark. He's going to miss at least a month with a lower body injury after getting hurt on Thursday versus the devils making a stretch save, man. Just so rough, right? And it's also kind of frustrating. I don't know, like, this is just me pontificating, but, like, the Sabres played him Monday. To, it was a five-game week, right, for the Sabres, and they played him Monday, Tuesday, and then again on Thursday. I wonder if maybe they could have rested him, maybe and but who knows, right? I mean, maybe the save would have happened either way. But, man, Allmark had been playing great. He had a 919 save percentage in the 12 games he played, but now he's out again, and obviously, I guess, the uh, implication is that sigh it's time for Carter Hutton to take over uh, you'd assume he was actually decent enough in Saturday's 3-0 loss to Philly he stopped 36 of 39 uh, but he's still sitting at an 896 save percentage in 7 games on the season really hard for me to have any faith in Carter Hutton or to recommend him to our listeners but then who else is there we've got 25 year old Jonas Johansson who played today in another 3-0 loss that the Savers took against Philly by the way man anyone who was excited about a five game week for the sabers not many goals in those five games two shutouts on the weekend uh but yeah johansson what did he do uh Stop 35 of 38, 921 save percentage. That's decent. But, uh, Brian, I guess, actually, let me start with just asking who is this guy, Jonas Johansson? Is he someone people should, should care about? I guess I'll also throw out there that there is another guy in the depth chart, Uka Pekka Lukanen, who's the one that people are actually excited about thinking he's like maybe the future prospect goalie for the Sabres. I wonder if at some point, if Hutton or Johansson aren't like, you know, playing up to snuff, if maybe Lukanen gets a shot. So, why don't you just give people a summary of your thoughts on the Sabers' current goalie situation and if we're going to recommend going after any of these guys
2: okay let's start with jonas johansson who in the oh no
1: i was like jonas johansson and you're saying jonas johansson so i blew it
2: i'll go jonas
1: no no you're probably right though man has anybody been watching dark it's such a good show. You say Jonas, he's like the main character. And man, that's a good show. So that's a that's a little side note for all of you. If you're losing in fantasy this week, like me, you could just go watch Dark and forget about it. But okay, bright Jonas or Jonas? Johansson or Johansson, tell us.
2: <laughs> okay, Jonas Johansson, continuing the great tradition of goalie names where the first and second are very similar, started by Pete Peters, Philadelphia, Boston, and Washington alumnus. Uh, but Jonas Johansson in Buffalo. Elon, you really just tossed off that. I uh, stopped 35 of 38 shots against for 9.21 save. That's fine. That's really good. Like he did really well. Philly was all over Buffalo this afternoon and he handled it quite well. Who is this guy? Who is Johansson? 25 years old, was a third round pick, 61st overall of the Sabres back in 2014. This is fifth pro season, and there hasn't been a lot to love so far, although keep in mind with goalies, they're young, they work on their game, and as they work on their game, they're not as good. So you're not always looking at a goalie's uh, minor league numbers and making grand assumptions about whether it means they're on track for success in the NHL. But Johansson did finally have a good season last year in the AHL with a 921 save percentage in 22 games. Like I said, nothing remarkable outside of that. I think he has like an okay chance of being an okay NHL goalie, but he doesn't have a blue chip pedigree or anything that I think that probably sets him above Ukopeka Lukkonen who does have that blue chip pedigree, but I guess is going to get a little more seasoning, especially if Johansson keeps playing as he did today. Of course, Lukanen, a 21-year-old uh, goalie, picked in the second round, 54th overall, back in 2017. He uh, has an 890 save percentage in four AHL games so far this year, so uh, maybe he should conquer that league first or work out whatever kinks in his game need to be worked out there. I think uh, things look good for Jonas Johansson, and there's not a real high bar to clear p- to be the starter ahead of Carter Hutton so of course the caveat if you're planning on adding any Buffalo goalie is that Buffalo has been freaking awful right my opponent in the couple this week had Elliot and Carter Hart so got the two Philly back-to-back shout outs on Saturday and Sunday that had me on tilt And it is uh, emblematic of Buffalo's offense this year. They're actually not bad defensively, which is good news for their goalies. Their defensive protection in Buffalo is actually just outside the top 10 in the league. But the offense is worse than all but five NHL teams so far this year. That said, I still want to believe that Buffalo can do better than they've done so far. They have the lowest PDO in the league. And I don't think they're actually as bad as they've looked. But of course, uh, don't be too stubborn on forcing Jonas Johansson or Carter Hutton to work in your lineup while Buffalo is clearly in disarray and trying to figure out what the heck is going to work for that team. Because clearly, uh, they haven't found it yet over 120 minutes against the Philadelphia Flyers this weekend.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the way I would strategize here is I would say, forget about Carter Hutton. Even if he plays all the games, I don't want him because he's yeah. like, too scary to roster. I'd say like, if you want to, don't rush to grab Jonas Johansson, but say if he's He's... Is- you know, announced to be playing a game, you need to grab a spot start goalie, anyways. Grab him. And then at that point, if he plays well, then, you know, hold him and see if he also gets the next start. And maybe that's the kind of thing where you, that could roll into potentially someone worth holding. But I'm not rushing to grab Jonas Johansson because probably it'll be 50 50. Or maybe even Carter Hart. Or not Carter Hart. If it was Carter Hart, it would be a different story. Uh, but probably Carter Hutton ends up getting the majority of the starts just because he's the one who made the team over Johansson. But I guess we'll have to wait and see.
2: I mean, I guess so. But Carter Hutton hasn't really done anything to deserve to be the incumbent. I mean, sure. right? if, if Johansson keeps playing well, then maybe. <laughs> (laughs) He just gets to keep playing. But I'm totally with you on your take. I wouldn't add Carter Hutton for any reason. But if Jonas Johansson looks to be getting at least a timeshare, then yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, so here's and, oh, another playing well. Of
1: yeah, of course. I mean, he had one good game today, sort of. He led him three goals. Okay. Anyways, okay. I'm Thirty-eight uh, shots against. Okay, sure. So it's fine. It's fine. I'm not gonna, you know, give him the Calder now. Uh, so by the way, uh, there is another goalie potentially in the picture. Like, I don't know. I, I've, I haven't heard any rumors. All I know is Alex Stalock got waived by Minnesota today, and Buffalo, having just had this injury, who knows? Maybe Buffalo would be a nice place for Stalock to sign. Uh, so we'll have to see. Like, uh, he's apparently back skating. Like, back on January or February 14th, there was news of Staylock skating. Staylock, remember, had that good run with Minnesota last year. So I don't know. Let's not dig into that. You know, it's just rumors, but something to consider. Uh, OK, so as far as these terrible forwards that you were talking about, uh, Jack Eichel is back, which you'd think would be good, but didn't help. He didn't score any points today since Buffalo got shut out again. Uh, Taylor Hall is looking like a complete bust lately. Uh, we had tweets from two of our fans, Scuba Steve and Brody Campbell, both basically begging us for permission to drop Taylor Hall. Uh, Uh, So checking in, 12 points in 19 games now, only three assists and no goals in his last 10 games. He actually hasn't scored a goal since the season opener. Brian, are we ready to give Scuba Steve and Brody permission to drop Taylor Hall in their somewhat shallow league? Or like, is there any reason for hope that he can be a great buy low candidate at this point? Like, This is just not going well at all.
2: Yeah, Taylor Hall has not yet scored a goal at 5-on-5 this year in 18 games. This is not what you expect from Taylor Hall, especially in a season where he has so much to prove. He's on a show-me contract one year and... The, the next contract that he wants a lot of term on is going to be determined by how he plays this year. So it's really, really surprising that he's not able to put it together. Uh He's generating a little less offensively at five on five uh, in terms of shot generation. But I'd expect Taylor Hall to have scored at least a couple goals on the 32 shots he's taken. Also, his teammates aren't helping him at all. Everybody's shooting beneath five percent uh, while Taylor Hall is on the ice and he has just six points at five on five in 18 games because of his and his linemate shooting failures if it weren't for Taylor Hall's six power play points so far his season would be a complete disaster so at least he has those but because I think he probably should have scored on more of the shots he's taken and I think his teammates probably should have scored more on the shots they've taken I think Taylor Hall still is a reasonable buy low. I think he's too good a player to not figure it out. Of course, as I just mentioned, Buffalo is a team in disarray and they have a lot to sort out, but I still feel like Taylor Hall should be able to come out above that and still be able to do his thing. Maybe you're not looking. I mean, we were never hoping uh, when you're looking at Taylor Hall, I think 70 points is a reasonable benchmark to set. Oh,
1: please. I'll take it.
2: Yeah. Uh, Well, of course (laughs) you would take that now. I'm saying if you want to adjust your expectations, maybe 60-65 is fair, and then maybe you could buy him low at that price. Or if you're considering dropping him in a shallow league, make sure you've got at least a 60-plus point player to replace him with. I wouldn't be ready to do it, though.
1: Man, so okay, here's one ray of hope maybe. The fact that the Sabres got shut out twice this weekend maybe will mean that they shake up the Lions because Hall's been playing with Eric Stahl and Kyle Ocposo. At least that was his line today, which is obviously not very good at all. Maybe that would have been good like five years ago when Eric Stahl and Kyle Ocposo were stars in the league. Uh, right now, I would love for a little shake up, maybe get Eichel, Hall, and Reinhardt going. I think that's what it was at the start of the year when Hall was getting some points. So that's what I'm uh, asking for from the Sabres moving forward.
2: Yeah, I read this article from John Vogel at the athletic about how Ralph Kruger is constructing his lines and roster and what, like essentially it was built around the question, why is Jeff Skinner, how is Jeff Skinner not a top 12 forward in Buffalo?
1: I was hoping we were done talking about Jeff Skinner at this (laughs) point on the podcast.
2: Well, I just feel like, so I'm not going to talk about Jeff Skinner, but I am going to mention how the way that Vogel uh, justify the roster creation, at least in Ralph Krueger's mind. Okay, you need this face-off guy. You need this guy. Really, only there is a PK specialist. You need this guy here and this guy here. And it was just so many things that don't, like, I guess to Ralph Krueger, add up to a, a really solid system. But... To me, what it did is it made me worried that Ralph Kruger is so subscribed to this system that he's not going to do anything to jolt the offense free because so much of it is about a solid two-way defensively responsible penalty kill oriented team when the Sabres just desperately, desperately need offense. The defense is fine.
1: Yeah, I really feel like if two straight shutouts isn't going to be enough to make him want to jolt the offense, I don't know what would be, and I guess he would need a new coach at that point. So we'll see if they shake things up for the next game. That's something I'll be watching at at game day Lines on Twitter to see uh, if we're going to see any new Sabres lines. Okay, next injury on the list, Tomasz Hurdle is on the COVID list for San Jose, so he's going to be out 14 days. Uh, the Sharks lost a game because of this on Thursday, but they were back in action on Saturday, so I guess everyone's fine, and apparently Hurdle might even be fine, but he just, you know, has to... I don't know exactly what's going on with Hurdle, but he's going to be gone at least 14 games. Uh, by the way, the Sharks had an insane game versus the Blues on Saturday. The Blues beat the Sharks 7-6. to You know you have goalie troubles when you score six goals and it's still not enough to win the game. The Sharks had Devin Dubnik in that game. That was terrible. So maybe Alex Stalock Apparently the Sharks have a higher waiver priority, I'm seeing here in the chat. So maybe the Sharks go after Alex Stalock, which is pretty funny because they had him at one point. Correct me if I'm wrong.
2: Yeah, they had Salak before, they let him go, then he beat out Devin Dubnik for the starter's job in Minnesota, and we're like, Okay, now we want Devin Dubnik on our team. So, like, nothing has made sense. And I don't, uh, I don't know, if they did make a claim on Stalak, I, I won't love what it means. I mean, they desperately need a goalie. Maybe he can be better. I think a lot of goalies could be better than Dubnik and Jones. But Stalak is a goalie who I think really benefited from that protection in Minnesota, which he might also find in, say, Buffalo, but he might not necessarily find in San Jose, although it's hard to be a worse option than Jones and Dubnik.
1: Yeah. So anyways, I didn't even want to really get into the Sharks' goal It's a disaster, but we can at least look at the forwards because they did score six goals, which is great for fantasy. They've kept the top line of Couture, Kane, and LeBanc together even with Hurdle out. All had two-point games on Saturday, so if you have either of those guys that's pretty good for you. And uh, Kevin LeBanc by the way has a three-game point streak now with five points in those last three games, so I feel like he's definitely someone that should be worth a look if he's available in your leagues, especially in a deeper league because San Jose plays Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday versus Colorado a couple times and Vegas a couple times, so obviously not the easiest opponents, but you have three off-day games to start the week, so I would definitely be looking at Kevin LeBanc, uh, and then... With them stacking the top line, that leaves poor Timo Meyer to play with the likes of Rudolf Balsers and Dylan Gambrell on the second line. Though, that didn't seem to bother Meyer that much on Saturday because he had two goals and an assist. So that's his second straight game with points after being quiet for so, so long. I think we just talked about him like last show or the show before, but I had to bring him up. Maybe even though he's not playing with the best line mates, if he's going to see an increase in minutes like he's seen over the last couple of games, maybe that's worth more than having Hurdle as your center. Uh, So... Brian, I guess, what should I do? Like, I don't really have a question. It's like, let's comment on the Sharks' lines. Like, I think LeBanc is interesting. Obviously, Meyer is interesting if he's still out there. I guess I should also mention Rudolph Balsers, who has points in three straight games. I wonder if the Sens made a mistake waving him. He was actually on the top power play yesterday, uh, along with that spot with Meyer on the second line.
2: Just to be clear, it's Rudolph's Balsers, so you gotta make sure to to pronounce both S's at the end of his first and last name. Uh yeah, and he was, of course, the one of the centerpieces somehow of the Eric Carlson trade. Somehow, like that trade is just a a disaster now. Josh Norris is the guy that seems to have come out of it as the one very valuable and smart piece.
1: Well though, Balsers has points in three games. He's looking great.
2: So I think Ottawa probably made a mistake by clogging their depth chart with vets boxing him out and then waving him letting (laughs) San Jose just take him right back after insisting that he was part of the Eric Carlson deal a couple years back so that's weird I'm not really that confident that Balsers has a lot to offer long term like he still seems to be fighting his feet maybe he's a middle sixer uh, with points here and there he doesn't seem like someone super rosterable but he is to his credit Dave Benton of the Stream Schemes, ludicrous streamer of the week. Apologies for the spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't listened yet. If you haven't, what are you waiting for? It's in our show notes. Stream Scheme with Dave Benton. So yeah, so I'm not rushing to grab balsers unless you're in a deep league and you need some extra GP. Kevin LeBanc, of course, is someone we mentioned as being worth a look a couple weeks back. And yeah, he's still worth that same look. He's still not seeing much in the way of power play deployment, but it's still nice to see LeBlanc getting in on some offense in San Jose lately. Pretty respectable. 50-point pace for LeBanc and some decent shot performances along the way. Not expecting the big breakout that we hoped to see last year and some of the year before too, but LeBanc is a pretty good guy to have on the bottom of your roster, especially while he's on this heater. And then speaking of heaters, how about Timo Meyer, who was due for one. He just had two goals on 55 shots heading into last night's brawl against the Blues Meyer has been a 10% shooter over his career. So he was due for some good times, better than just the two goals on 55 shots. In the meantime, hasn't it been lovely that at least Timo Meyer is still managing three shots per game while playing mid-six minutes and seeing no meaningful power play time? So good on you, Timo Meyer, for doing your thing, keeping those shots coming. But I do think that ceiling is is pretty uh, low for Timo Meyer this year. One of the reasons, even though he's got five power play points this year, he's got a hundred percent point participation on the power play, not even on the top unit. So even though it looks like he's having this power play success. It's not sustainable. So you take that bad shooting luck and you wash it out with that overly successful rate on the power play. And I think it all comes out to maybe 50 points as being a safe expectation for Timo Meyer, but with great shot rates. So at least he can help you there.
1: Yeah, Jan, though, at the 50 points. So I guess we would rank them if you're grabbing a shark for next week, uh, LeBanc, then Meyer, then Balsers.
2: Yeah, I guess I could justify putting Meyer ahead of Lebank just because you know he's well, you can almost count on him getting you, you at least three shots per game when you can't say the same about Lebank But of course, LeBanc could still get you one or two and has a better shot at pointing. So yeah, I would go Lebank Meyer, Balsers.
1: Yeah, by well, LeBanc is playing with superstar Logan Couture, who we had a bit of an argument about last week, so I'm not going to bring him up again. Great, right,
2: 300-point Logan Couture. Uh,
1: he's, he's kept up the point per game uh, that he was at last week. So, okay, uh, I guess I have to bring this up since we're on the Sharks and we have an outjury. This should be noteworthy that Eric Carlson returned for a six-goal game, but of course, no points for Eric Carlson in his return. Very disappointing, but hey, he had five shots, Okay. But he was on the second power play. So I don't know. Whatever. Maybe he'll But Like I said, Rudolph Balsers has been, Rudolph's Balsers, I should say, has been on the top power play. You'd think Eric Carlson should get back there, but I, like, who the, who the heck knows at this point? I'm glad to see him back, waiting for him to get a point.
2: Yeah. It, what a weird turn on the IR for Carlson. Remember, it was like he was out and it's like, oh, yeah, I think I'll be back before long. And then they put him on officially IR, or, they, or the coach said he's going to be out a few games. It seemed to be a disagreement about how long he should be out for. I, Again, wish he would just take a season off, Eric. It's not working for you this year. Come back next year 110% healthy, assuming you can get to that part. Like He looked okay at times last night, even though he had the no points on the Six Sharks goal. But then he did uh, have some gaffes as well, including leading to what I think was the goal by Sunqvist that made it 5-4 St. Louis. Uh, and you mentioned that Carlson's also on the second power play now, which has been an idea floating around for a while now. And I'm not so surprised it happened. And I won't be so surprised if it holds. So yeah, rostering Eric Carlson this year is not what it's ever been cracked up to be. This is a really, really rough go for anybody still toughing it out with him.
1: Yeah, you're happy with those shots. Like I same with Timo Meyer, but he did not produce like he did. Okay, let's do some more injuries here. So Jason Zucker is out long term with a lower body injury in Pittsburgh. Probably doesn't matter to most people because he was doing nothing this year. Obviously, people were really excited. He had a decent run when he got traded to the Pens last year from Minnesota. But so far this year, only eight points in 17 games. Maybe he could be a potential bounce-back candidate like if and when he returns. But he's that long-term, so I wouldn't depend on it. Uh, today, the Penguins played, and they lost 2-0 to the Islanders. So I... Could see that the lines over at Frozen Tools here, like really were shaken up throughout the game. So at times there was Crosby with Rust and Gensel, then also there were times where Crosby was with Kasperi Kapanen and Gensel, then Malkin was playing with McCann and Tanev, it looks like for a lot of the game, and maybe and some time also with Rust and McCann. So theoretically, it looks like Jared McCann has been getting this promotion to play with Evgeny Malkin with Zucker out, but I wouldn't be surprised to see that even change. Like with all these shakeups today and they got, you know, shut out, just like I was predicting with Buffalo, I wouldn't be surprised to see some more penguins lines shake-ups the penguins are never shy to shake up the line so i just want to put it out there in my opinion don't rush for jared mccann but maybe brian you could say if you disagree
2: no i totally agree this isn't the first time we've seen jared mccann getting turns playing with malkin and crosby and in that sense in the sense that he's never really performed there. He seems like that classic Pittsburgh third wheel in the vein of Cahoon and Sherry and one-time Brian Rust, who just keep getting these turns at the top of the lineup and don't do anything with him. So I'm not sure McCann is worth your while. Of course, if you're desperate and your league is deep enough, go for it. But playing on Malkin's line right now doesn't seem to be a very good place to be. Malkin is not Malkin.
1: I mean, he had five points in five games before today, but yeah, I mean, I guess if I'm see- seeing that and getting too excited, that just goes to show that he's not the same Malkin as he's been in yet yeah, another uh, pointless game today. So yeah, it's uh, not the best year for some of our players like Hall and Malkin, who we thought should be slam dunks at the draft throw, obviously Mika Zibanejad into that pile bummer okay so brian i've got some more injuries to discuss here these the these next few are ones like the player might even be back in the next game so i'm just going to mention it if people are curious and give a quick take but i don't think we need to dig too deep into them like on toronto austin matthews has been hurt for a couple games and it's been great for john tavares who's gotten to play with mitch marner uh but i saw that matthews was skating today so perhaps by the time toronto plays again matthews will be back and things will go back to normal uh and then i guess the other big news is that frederick anderson has been out for a couple of games. Looks like he'll be back. But also there was an outjury in Toronto that Jack Campbell came in and shut out the Edmonton Oilers, stopping 30 shots on Saturday. So I wonder what's going to happen. I, I saw a tweet just today that at least for Mondays, if you're listening to this on Monday, apparently Frederick Anderson is like a game time decision, but likely won't play. So if I were to bet, it's going to be Campbell playing on Monday, and then the Leafs play Wednesday, Thursday next week. So you might be able to get two starts out of Jack Campbell if you pick him up right now. And then maybe more interestingly is just like Jack Campbell just shut out the Oilers and looks to be really good and Frederick Anderson as you recall you know he started the year slow he was doing okay then he got hurt I wonder now with both of these guys healthy hopefully if the Leafs start going to a 50-50 split that I was you know pontificating about early on in the year and now we'll see if they're going to go for it after Campbell just had this great game
2: yeah we'll see exactly how much time the Leafs want to give Campbell a net he's at least proving himself worthy of it Jack Campbell has been the better Goalie between he and Freddie Anderson going back to the start of 2019. So that includes some of Campbell's time with the Kings and so not all with the Leafs, but still, Campbell has been a bit above average per Delta Fenwick save percentage, which is our way of sort of comparing how many shots a goalie has saved uh, ba- compared to how many they would have been expected to save. And he Jack Campbell is above that expected save percentage by about the same amount. Freddie Anderson is below it since the start of the 2019-20 season, but I don't, think that number one job is quite up for grabs, right? The Leafs have been pretty committed to Freddie Anderson. Uh, Mind you, he also hasn't had anyone to push him until acquiring Campbell towards the end of the 1920 season. If I'm a Freddie Anderson manager, I think what I'll do is I'll take solace in that uh, Freddie Anderson is still outperforming his own expected save percentage this season over 16 games. So he's having a good year. There's nothing to be freaking out about. It's not like he's struggling and here comes... Jack Campbell just rolling up, doing his thing. But I also still, of course, as we would have said at the start of the season, expect Jack Campbell to spot start more often to give Anderson more of a rest. And of course, there's the possibility, unlike in past years, that Jack Campbell can challenge for the number one job, or at least more of a timeshare if Freddie Anderson does fall off.
1: Yeah, plus there is obviously this big looming problem for the Leafs that frederick anderson is going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year you know they're also gonna have to pay zach hyman like i don't think they're gonna be able to pay all these guys so i think it would make sense for them to at least give jack campbell some games here's me like i'm just thinking like if i was running the leafs i would want to give campbell some games and see if maybe we can let frederick anderson go rather than having to give him a big contract next year so that you know maybe if they're thinking this way then maybe campbell gets more games for that reason okay the next injury so evgeny kuznetsov has missed a couple for the washington capitals with an upper body injury so again like uh, who knows he might even be back by the next game in the meantime, Lars Eller got bumped up to play with Alex Ovechkin, and he had two points in his last three games, or three points in his last three games, I should say, uh, going into today. And then Lars Eller today, let's see, was a 3-2 win for the Caps over New Jersey, and another assist. So look at that. Eller, I think that uh, Eller... Again, like assuming that Kuznetsov is still out, he's someone I would definitely grab. Like you always want to have someone playing with Ovechkin, and I guess the other guy playing on that line has been Connor Sherry, who had no points today. But I don't know. In a very deep league, these are I think Eller is someone I'm very interested in right now. While Kuznetsov is out, and Sherry is someone to like you know consider in a deeper league, Uh and then. Yeah, I guess, Brian, the other big thing with the caps lines that I wanted to ask you about... Well, actually, okay, I got a couple things. I got a lot of things about the Caps I want to ask you about. Let's actually start with Kuznetsov, who, by the way, Brian, I have him on my Cupful team, and I'm not disappointed at all that he is on the IR because he's really been letting me down. He had just one shot over his last couple of games. He's been on the second power play ever since returning from COVID. Jacob Verana has been on the top power play for him, so... Yeah, like, Like, should I be happy that Kuznetsov's out? Or I guess maybe the more actionable question is like, when he comes back, is he like a sure thing where I'm going to need to drop someone to bring him into my lineup? Or maybe is it time to consider Kuznetsov not as valuable as he's generally been? Like, what's been wrong with him this year? So
2: first, I'm just going to do a very small victory lap, maybe not even a lap, a victory 200 meters about how I did mention Kuznetsov was performing over his head and that you should try and sell high earlier in the season. Not to say that I think this cold snap is going to stay as cold as it is. I mean, sure, he's off the top power play at the moment, which is not a good place for him to be. Not to say he can't get it back, but if you just look at five on five production, uh, he's getting worse than he deserves there. He's not getting in on as many of the goals that are scored while he's on the ice, which is something that usually does correct itself due to variance. And one thing that's actually really hurting him, Elon, is an Alex Ovechkin, who is not shooting the way he often shoots, right? Kuznetsov has spent some substantial time around Ovechkin over the past few years, and that's helped Kuznetsov's on-ice shooting percentage. But this year, Ovechkin is shooting a pedestrian uh, 10% compared to the last couple years when he's been shooting 15% at 5-on-5. So a lot of things that are out of Kuznetsov's control. You've got his power play deployment, you've got his teammates shooting percentage, and you've got his points participation, a couple of which will possibly correct themselves, but not all of them are guaranteed that too, and especially not all at the same time. So I am down on Kuznetsov as I was before the season, and as I remained even after his little uh, his little three-game hot streak that he had a few games into the season. And then you mentioned Lars Eller, who has been added in a quarter of the full divisions this year, which you can find out about it at Kukupful.com. Honestly, I'm surprised it's not more, especially for a Sunday stream with someone who's been as hot as he's been. It would have been a good one. As you mentioned, Elon, an assist tonight for Eller. That brings him up to nine points in his last 10 games, three goals and six assists, and a very uncharacteristic seven-shot game in that span, but a lot of zero to two shot games around that I actually what do you think of this analogy Elon is Lars Eller kind of like a Jordan stall and that he goes on these sustained hot streaks where he's not doing anything that really shows me anything in his game has changed but luck just seems to turn for him for about 10 or 15 games a year each season.
1: Yeah, I guess that's right. I mean, Eller's generally a bottom six guy, and I guess Stahl is that way as well, but Stahl got on that top power play on Carolina for a bit where he, you know, he was producing. Uh, yeah, I think I like it, and yeah, Eller, right now while he's playing with Ovi, and hey, Ovi did score a goal today on six shots, so they're already trying to boost that shooting percentage. Of course, uh, let me give you these full lines for the top six. Like we said, uh, Ovi with Eller and Connor Sherry, and then Backstrom with Wilson and Veranus, You may notice a glaring omission there, and that's TJ Oshi, who's been bumped to the bottom six on Washington. I don't recall ever seeing this happen. It's always been like the same six guys in the top six ever since they traded Burakovsky and, you know, promoted Verana. But Oshie was playing today with Richard Panic and Daniel Sprong? it looks like. Uh, so he's still on the top power play, which is good. He had a big two power play goal. One power play is his game versus the Devils a week ago. So three power play points in one game makes his overall numbers recently not look so bad, but he went pointless uh, today. And Brian, I would be very concerned as an Oshi manager, like is like maybe just because he had a couple big games recently, that's an opportunity to try to trade him and get someone to be interested. Like obviously he won't do nothing since he's on the top power play, but I wouldn't be expecting very much production at all and even strength if he's going to be bumped by Connor Sherry. Or should we just, maybe the answer, is that this won't last. I don't know. I'm curious to know what's going on here.
2: That's definitely the answer. <laughs> I don't think this is going to last. We're not going to overreact to this change in deployment. I think without Kuznetsov in the lineup, we shouldn't be assuming that Oshie is going to stick in the bottom six long term. And Connor Sherry has not been... Awesome. Right. Coming into today, he had points in two of his last three and four of his last seven, three goals and one assist on 10 shots, which is okay, but it's nothing to be excited about. So I don't think Oshie's job in the top six is in any danger. If he is in the bottom six when Kuznetsov returns, then uh, then we'll have something to talk about.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean obviously, like, don't give him away for nothing if you're in a league where he's generally always rostered, but I would be seeing if I could dump him. Or maybe if you're in a shallower league, maybe you can at least stream him out for now because I'm not expecting too much while he's down there.
2: Yeah, if you want to try and get out in front of any misfortune that involves his deployment, then yeah, you can try and trade Oshi and see if like like you can get an even guy back and you just don't have to worry about this fine but honestly I don't think anyone has anything to worry about long term unless uh, we find out otherwise
1: yeah he's also getting up there right so maybe at some point he's gonna have to get demoted and eventually slow down Uh, okay so one good news piece on Washington is that Nicholas Backstrom is putting up his best season in over 10 years he has 24 points in 20 games going into today and he had another goal today so you could just add to that Backstrom is like, this is crazy, right? Like, we had thought he had settled into being, like, an approximately 75-point guy over the last, like, three seasons. You pretty much could set your watch to what Backstrom was going to do. And then this year, he's having this huge resurgence. Brian, what's going on here? Is there any chance this is sustainable? And we're going to see Nicholas Backstrom put up his best point pace since 2009-2010.
2: It's really exciting. And I like Nicholas Backstrom a lot. And I'd love to say yes, but I'm not gonna because at five on five (laughs) in 20 games, Nicholas Backstrom has nine goals on 41 shots, which converts to a 22% shooting percentage versus his usual 10%. Like he's pacing for 36 goals right now. And Backstrom has only exceeded 23 goals once in his career uh, way back. Like, I think it's over a decade ago now, Backstrom had 33 goals, which is the same season. He had a career-high shots on goal, over 200, and a career-high shooting percentage as well. So things are going right for Backstrom in terms of goal scoring, but he deserves a little piece of this. One fun part about Backstrom's game this season is that he is putting up career-high shot rates on the power play, which is really fun. So if she, he's shooting and scoring on the power play, I think he could still get up above eighty points. But I still think you probably want to keep him roughly in that seventy-five to eighty-point range. If you're asking whether you should sell high, Elon, uh, I wouldn't sell. Like I would, I would consider it, but I'd make sure you're actually getting equal value back like the mistake would be to take a 70 point player back for backstrom I, I wouldn't do that i would just keep backstrom so i have a few sell high questions for you i think i'm gonna get two no's and a yes are you ready okay i'm ready would you trade nicholas backstrom for jack eichel yes would you trade i'd nicholas... rather eichel yeah yeah okay would you trade backstrom for zibanejad
1: ugh no <laughs> i finally have to admit that i've messed up and i should have traded zibanejad when i had the chance this is not going well
2: and would you trade Backstrom for Malkin?
1: Nah, I don't think yeah.
2: so. Oh, I was right. Two nos and a yes. So yeah, <laughs> you're you're selling high if you get Eichel back. I don't think you're selling high if you get Zabidenko or Malkin back.
1: What about Taylor Hall? Do you do that deal, Brian?
2: No, I don't.
1: Yeah, I agree with you.
2: Even before the season started, I don't know. I would like assume depending on your categories yeah, and how valuable course. goals and assists are. But if you're just looking at points. I think I would have preferred Backstrom to Hall. Is that a hot take? I no, guess there was a lot similar. of hype about Hall and Eichel. They're both going to eclipse 100 points. We didn't, not that we bought into that necessarily, but I guess I was definitely open to higher than a point per game Taylor Hall. And I wasn't about Backstrom. And yet here we are.
1: Here we are. Yeah, I guess uh, we should learn a lesson to never assume someone's going to play with Jack Eichel because we thought about Skinner, we thought about Hall. Doesn't happen. The, the, Kruger puts who he wants with Jack Eichel, and it's not who we want. Uh, I guess one final thing about Washington. So Elias Samsonov finally returned today, and he had a decent game. Like I said, the Caps won three to two. Samsonov stopped nineteen of twenty-one. Uh, so I guess that's it for Vitek Vanacek playing like every single game except for that one game that Craig Anderson played. Uh, but at the same time, Vanacek was decent. So I'd imagine moving forward, I don't see why the Caps don't just go 50-50 or wait for a goalie to go on a hot streak. I definitely am not as high on Samsonov as I was going into the year, but if he's in free agency and you know it's hard to get goalies in your league, probably it's time to grab him. He, he got a win today. I'll be very interested to see who gets the next start for Washington. Probably Samsonov, I would think.
2: Yeah, it seems if he played well and they want to get him going, I think Samsonov is still the Capitals' first choice to be the number one or at least 1A, but Vanacek definitely put up a solid run in Samsonov's absence when you thought, oh my goodness, the Capitals are screwed. They went out and grabbed Craig Anderson. And then Vanchak was like, guys, I'm here. It's okay. He was solid in five of his last six starts going 4-1-1. One, and one with a 9.26 save percentage, which of course is far better than anything Samsonov had done in the two NHL starts he had before returning today, where he had an 8.46 and an 8.89. I'm with you, Elon, that Samsonov is not the guaranteed start we thought he'd be, and that Vanishak has at least made the case to be in a timeshare with Samsonov, and now it's up to Samsonov to prove just how heavy a load he's ready to carry.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's, it's his rookie's, or no, he played last year, but it's his first year where he was going to be a starter. So I don't see why Washington needs to run him into the ground, especially since things are going pretty well so far. They've won a lot of games with Vanecek, so I don't see why they should take a risk, even just like in terms of injury, right? Like Samsonov's never played a really busy workload, and there's a lot of games coming up for the rest of the year. So yeah, I'm not as excited about Samsonov, for sure. I guess that's not a hot take. For uh, Okay, so Brian, uh, before we move forward with some more injuries, let's take a second and thank some sponsors for this week's episode. Uh, as people may know, our network now is on Blue Wire. We're super super happy to be with Blue Wire and we want to talk about a new program that Blue Wire has introduced called Blue Wire Hustle which is a program where you can host your very own podcast at Blue Wire. So it's called Blue Wire Hustle and Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level or if you want to host a podcast and you just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. Like as part of the program, you're going to receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to a community Discord and an e-learning course full of t- tips, and tricks. And on top of all of that, they're going to get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all the listening platforms, and they're going to like host your show. So normally you have to pay like whatever it is per month to ha- have a host for your show, and you don't get anything out of it, aside from just the hosting. And, and With Blue Wire Hustle, they're going to do all of this for you and also give you all of this help for only $15 a month. And that, again, like I'm saying, is the same rate as any other hosting site that they would charge you for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or you have an existing show that you want to grow hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience acceptance into the program is limited so get your application in today brian tell people how
2: if you want to apply you can head on over to bwhustle.com join you can see that link in our show notes too to find out more that's bwhustle.com join
1: okay and like i said we're going to be back very soon with some more injuries you're listening to keeping carlson
0: like any good team According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply.
1: And we are back, Brian, again. These are injuries that we're talking about that I don't even know how long this player is going to be out, but let's just mention them. And I want to mention that Dylan Larkin missed a game for Detroit uh, versus Chicago on Saturday, and Larkin again was out today versus the Blackhawks. This game is still going on as we're recording, and these lines are ugh, like I'm seeing here. Zadina with Nemesnikov and Sam Gagne, Glenn Denning with Helm and Adam Ernie, Mantha, who's, I guess, the biggest name <laughs> on this forward crew, uh, with Bobby Ryan and Valtteri Philpool. I don't know. Just, like, if you didn't have a reason to drop Mantha before, like, if Larkin is out for any stretch of time, like, how could you have any interest in Mantha? But anyways, people are already starting to drop Larkin, so I don't even know, like, what's the takeaway here. It's just, like, like we already said on a previous show, like, every Red Wing is probably droppable, except for maybe Jonathan Bernier, <laughs> which is crazy to say. But he started to look like a legit goalie option this season. He stopped 33 of 36 in the 5-3 upset of the Hawks on Saturday, and that's now his fourth straight quality start. Three of them were wins, which I don't know how that's possible since Detroit never scores, but somehow with Jonathan Bernier net they're winning some games. He has a 9-18 save percentage in 11 games on the season. So Brian, like I know going into the year, you were very big on Thomas Grice being the starter. At this point, it seems to me like maybe Bernier is actually a volume starter <laughs> that we didn't realize because like I said, he played the last four games until today. Thomas Grice is playing because it was a back-to-back. Uh, how into Jonathan Bernier are you at this point?
2: When the Red Wings signed Thomas Grice, I so overlooked Jonathan Bernier. I'm like, oh yeah, they're gonna, you know, he's gonna come in, he's gonna be their starter, forget Jonathan Bernier, and you were like, Brian, I think it's gonna be, like, at least a timeshare. I was like, no, Elon, like, don't, Thomas Grice, he's coming from the Islanders, he's been so good for so long, and here we are, right? And you were so right to stand by your men, Jonathan Bernier, Elon. He is a top 10 goalie this year in Delta Fenwick save percentage and has this insane quality start percentage. 80% of his starts have been quality for Detroit. And he's putting up a 918 save percentage. If Bernier can keep this up, he's on track to post his personal second best season ever in the NHL out of nowhere. Seemingly, I guess not to you, though, uh this would rank behind only his inaugural season as a Toronto Maple Leaf. Meanwhile, on the other side of the coin, Grice, uh, going into tonight's game, had just five out of his 13 starts rated as quality, had an 8.91 save percentage, and just one win in those 13 tries— I think this goaltending crease situation is solved. I think it's over. Bernier started six in a row before Grice took the second half of the back-to-back that's taking place tonight as we record. I think we have a clear starter here and on a team that ranks 11th in shots against per 60 minutes. So they're uh when I say they rank 11th, I'm saying they give up the 11th most shots against per 60 minutes at five on five, which is a really great thing if your league counts volume and save percentage. This is what we wanted from John Gibson going into the season, right? Oh, yeah. He's on a defensively poor team, and he stops a lot of the shots that he faces. This is what we're getting from Kevin in this year. Jonathan Bernier is a low-key free agent ad that you can make if you missed out on Lankanen or you swung and missed on Gibson. I think—and, Elon, you tell me if this take is too hot— I think Jonathan Bernier is worth more than John Gibson today.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll at least give it to you that they're probably in the same tier, which is already like a lot spicier than anyone would have thought. Like going into the year, obviously Gibson was drafted in all leagues and Bernier probably in none. And at this point, the fact that they're in the same conversation, very hard to predict what will happen moving forward. Like Gibson has shown that he can go on hot runs, but he's also shown that he can't handle the heat for a whole season on this terrible Ducks team, which is no slight against Gibson. But, you know, it's tough being on the Ducks this year. Should be tough being on Detroit. So I'm not like going to bank on Bernier to keep this up. But for now, yeah, he's definitely someone to look for. I actually think the analogy here is he's what we were hoping for from Matt Murray, right? We expected the Sens to let in a ton of shots, and he just has to be decent. So that's what's happened for Detroit, and Bernier has been decent, and we'll see if he can keep it up. So yeah, that's a fun name for people who need goalies and are messaging us, being like, look, my FA's empty. I need to trade... Uh, I don't know, sometimes we get people like being like, okay, I need to trade one of my top, should I just trade Nikolai Ehlers for a goalie because I need one? And I'm like, well, first tell me who's in FA and they show me a list. Usually Bernier's in there. So maybe before you trade away Ehlers for a goalie, uh, try out Bernier, see how he does for you.
2: Yeah, for sure. Just languishing in so many free agent pools. And just a little more context on the Gibson piece. I tweeted this out before, but Gibson used to be gold in saves leagues, even when his save percentage was a little rough, because Anaheim gave up so many shots against, which was the case for like the first seven games in Anaheim this season. But that's changed lately. Six of John Gibson's biggest workloads this season, where he saw Uh, 30 or more shots against, came in the Ducks' first seven games played in 10 full games since then. John Gibson has seen 30 shots just once and 25 or fewer shots five times. If Gibson sees one more game with 25 shots against or less, he'll have seen as many of those in like 18 games this season than he did in 49 games last season. So the Ducks seem to have solved something in terms of their <laughs> defensive game. They're actually allowing more shot attempts against than Detroit at five on five, but they're blocking a lot more of those than Detroit are. So I think they've just upped their shot blocking game rather than their actual defensive game but again this is one reason to be into Bernier for seeing a lot of volume and Gibson of course if he's off his game which he has been frequently uh, when you don't see 30 to 40 shots a night you don't get a lot of opportunities to make up for your mistakes so even if Bernier does have a rough night at least he's seeing a lot of shots on which he can get that save percentage back up.
1: It's interesting. I feel like you're talking a lot about Gibson. I know that's because you have him on your (laughs) Cucupful team. So you're trying to work through if you should make that swap. So uh, it'll be fun to see if any of your opponents in the Cucupful are listening and are going to fight you for him. Uh, Okay, so let's go to New Jersey now. Nico Heischer has been out. Uh, He just came back. And now he's injured again. So that stinks. And he was out again today for the game versus Washington that we were talking about before. Uh, so with sheer out, let's take a look at what the lines have been. like. Uh, so Jesper Brat, Pavel Zaka, and Nikita Gusev. And let's just stop right there, Brian. Pavel Zaka. Holy cow. This guy is on a crazy hostage. He's He's got another assist today. You know, it's 13 points in his last 12 games. I think I said last week when we brought up Zaka, I was like, yeah, I know he's on a hot stream. He's the type of guy who like, you know, I hear his name and I assume, yeah, even if he's on the score sheet, I know it's not going to last. But, you know, just like with a Lars Eller and a Jordan Stahl, at some point you have to stop ignoring and be like, okay, Brian, Pavel Zaka, is it time for people to go grab him? Like he's got 14 points in 17 games on the season right now. That is a 68-point pace when his highest ever point pace was 40. Like he had 32 points in 65 games last year and that's his highest ever point total. He's already got 14 and 17 this year. How, where is this coming from?
2: I'm going to slice it another way for you, Elon. Zaka has 13 points in his last 12 games. Six goals, seven assists, and 25 shots with four power play points. I was going into tonight. Sorry, I didn't update those numbers with New Jersey's game today. But there are two reasons why I don't think Zaka is going to keep it up. First, similar to Tuma Meyer, he's getting these power play points that I'm not sure are going to stick Yeah different from Timo Meyer, in that Zaka is actually on the top unit where he's picked up a lot of his four power play points but I'm also just seeing some variance markers like points participation and on a shooting percentage on the power play that shouldn't stick plus I don't know tell me if you think I'm wrong Elon but I don't know that Zaka's top power play deployment lasts right you've got Andreas Janssen and Nikita Gusev just waiting in the wings am I alone thinking that he's not long for power play one? I
1: don't know. You love your cold water bucket so much, right? Like this guy, Yeah. Like obviously it's not going to last. It's He's not going to be.
2: What do you want me to say? You're asking me if it- you asked me, is this going to last?
1: Yeah, okay. I guess I should change how I ask these questions. It's more like, should people grab Zaka, right? Like, I don't think anyone thinks that he's going to keep up these exact same rates and be an 80 point player this year. I'm more just wondering, like, you know, he's doing well. He's on the top line, he's on the top power play. Maybe, yeah, don't drop a Jack Eichel for him. But, like, right now, like you're saying, he's in a good spot. Maybe it won't last. But while it does last, let's say, while he is on the top power play, are we going to recommend him?
2: I think so. And I think only as long as he's on the top power play because his five on five numbers look the same as usual. He's not seeing any more minutes. He is seeing better line mates, but also isn't doing much more with them than he's done in previous seasons where he's looked generally unremarkable at five on five. So yeah, go and look at Zaka while he's on the top power play. Know that his power play production and his goal scoring where he's shooting 20%. Neither one is going to last, but when a guy's hot, he's hot. So there's my lack of cold water for you, Elon.
1: Uh, okay sorry i guess i pushed you somewhere where you didn't want to go yeah i guess like if he's free agent grab him but also obviously if you could trade him for someone really good then also do that because like brian's saying this obviously is not going to keep up at this pace i'll also mention pk suban doing pretty well lately right he had six points in his last nine games going into today and another assist today for suban so that makes seven points in his last 10 games he's the guy currently on the top power play so i like him like i think if he's a free agent in your league you need d like he's not the pk suban of old but for now he's the one i'd want out of any d on new Jersey. And they're scoring some goals, yeah.
2: Here's a lack of cold water for you, Elon. I think Subban probably deserves to be doing even better than he's doing so far. No goals on 27 shots at 5-on-5. So you could even assume he should have one or two goals on that many shots at 5-on-5. But I like that Subban especially looks set on the top power play and is seeing success there for the first time in a few years his point rates with the man advantage are up to where they were in his second last season in Nashville which was the last time PK ran the PP for any length of time you know I'm rooting for him and I'm definitely open to Subban being a season-long hold especially while he's holding this power play role.
1: And then uh, let's go to Arizona now where Connor Garland and Darcy Kemper are hurt. And I don't know if either of them will be long-term. So that's something going on. Obviously, it's a big loss to anyone who loses Connor Garland because he's having that great season. But in the meantime, here's a name that we haven't mentioned in a while that's finally heating up again. I don't know why, but Phil Kessel all of a sudden has eight points in his last six games. So I feel like Phil Kessel now becomes someone that people need to consider grabbing again. He's probably been dropped in a lot of leagues. And uh, he's playing on a line currently with Drake Kajula and Nick Schmaltz, which to be honest, isn't that great. But he's back on the top power play. I guess Connor Garland being hurt got Kessel back there. So it's probably not something that'll last. So yeah, Brian, I don't know. My initial instinct is to be like, ah, Kessel's just going to slow down again like he always does. I remember I got excited about him in the playoffs last year when he had like a good couple of games. And then I grabbed him in a playoff pool for round two and he wasn't as good. So is it going to be the same thing here? Or are you seeing something new from Kessel?
2: My inclination is the same as yours. Don't get too excited. I don't think much has changed. Four goals on his last 10 shots has definitely helped him. Plus on Saturday... No shots in 17 minutes of ice and top power play. So that's always concerning. It sucks that Phil Kessel is no longer someone you can count on for at least three shots a night. His shot rates are just steadily, steadily declining per game and per 60. So yeah, I'm not about to get any bit excited about Phil Kessel, but I'm glad you threw cold water on it first so I didn't have to.
1: Okay, yeah, well, here I'm not going to have any more cold water to throw. Uh, So, Kale McCarr is hurt for Colorado. He's having a great year, but he's missed a few games now. Apparently, he's going to be out for at least the first two games of next week. Uh, I guess then he'll be back in the meantime, though. Sam Girard has been on the top power play for Colorado, and he had two assists on Saturday, including a power play assist versus the aforementioned Arizona Coyotes. And Girard now has 13 points in 16 games on the season, which is a 67-point pace, which is pretty wild, because McCarr hasn't missed that many games, right? A lot of these points are coming from... From when Makar is in the lineup so do you think what we're seeing from Sam Girard I have a feeling you can get that cold water out but also you've always loved Sam Girard so what are you going to do here
2: I've always had love for Sam Girard, and I'm heartened to see, as much as I want to see Byron take the top power play role when it's available, and Makar doesn't, like, he's already bumped himself by not being in the lineup. I'd love to see Byron there, but I'm happy that Girard is the first replacement for Makar. As I like to say, Girard could quarterback 30 other power plays in the league. It's just his misfortune that he's behind Cal Makar. Um, but if you're asking me whether this point pace can continue from Girard, I will say no. And one of those reasons is because of how reliant he has been on this power play production. He already has six power play points in sixteen games. Compare that to Girard's season last year, we had thirteen power play points in 70 games. So there's no way that would see this pace keep up that would see Girard match last year's power play point total in half the games. I guess it could if Makar is out for any length of time, that would be an opening, but even at 5-on-5, honestly, Girard is probably overperforming what is reasonable to expect with a high on ice shooting percentage and his secondary assists are coming at too high a rate. Elon, you know, whenever you ask me, why does this look different than usual, I'll tell you, because things are weird right now and it will go back to being normal
1: of course okay but still obviously people listening should know yeah go grab uh, sam gerard well he's he's on the top
2: power play absolutely like there's no question
1: all right, so let's switch to Algeries now. Anthony Sorelli is back for the Tampa Bay Lightning, and he jumped to center the top line, or maybe the second line. I don't know, but he was playing with Stamkos and Killorn, and then Palat was playing with Point and Tyler Johnson. So, normally for most of the year, it was Stamkos, Point, and Palat, with obviously Braden Point centering the top line. So, I'll be really interested to see if this sticks or if the Lightning go back to what they were doing before. Uh, they did win 5 0 against Dallas on Saturday, so I don't think they'll be quick to change anything up. By the way, Sorelli, uh, a goal and an assist in that win. And- and Sorelli's up to 12 points in 13 games on the season. We talked about Sorelli when he got hurt and you took out the cold water bucket, of course, and said you thought he'd fall back to a 50 to 55 point guy. But does your mind change if he's going to stick playing with Stammer for the next little while?
2: Definitely. You should be more interested because over the past couple seasons, Sorelli's most common line mates have been Alex Collor Tyler Johnson and Matthew Joseph. So playing with Steven Stamkos is a pretty nice change for Sorelli, who I don't know he's quite couturier or Ryan Nugent Hopkins but strikes me very much in some kind of vein like that as a two-way guy who can produce if he's given the green light to but he's often used more to defend kind of like, uh, the, the Paul Stasny edit of recent years, which isn't a ringing endorsement, of course, but I'm trying to make it one. I'm saying, Hey, Sorelli's a guy who might be able to do more if he was asked to, but he's often asked to be more on the defensive side than the offensive side. Uh, you're asking me if I'm going to change my projection from full season? Yeah, I'll bump him up five points. On the season, maybe more like I guess I I could go up to 10 if I wanted to get real crazy going from 50 to 55 to uh, 55 to 60. Is that a five or 10 point gain? Look, I could see him approaching 60 points with significant time next to Steven Stamkos. But uh, I am definitely a little curious about some. I'm trying to put the cold water away for the show, Elon. Now that you've really pointed it out, I'm feeling bad about it. But there are certain unsustainable markers in Sorelli's game right now that I don't think knock him all the way back down to 50-55 points. It's nice that he's playing with Stamkos. I think he'll get a boost for as long as they are together.
1: Yeah, well, or he doesn't even need a boost. He just needs to hold on to what he was already doing. And that will obviously help with that. So nice season for Sorelli so far. I'm glad to see him back. I thought he was going to be out longer term, to be honest. I was surprised to see him back so quickly. Uh, Philly's gotten some reinforcements back. So Claude Giroux missed some time on the COVID list. uh, But he had three assists and eight shots in his return game versus the Rangers earlier this week. No points, but four shots versus Buffalo on Saturday. And then today, uh, let me just check right now how Giroux did. And another no point game, so... Oh no, he kinda like lost all of that all that excitement from the three assist game. Now it's three points in his last three games. He's been playing on a line with Hayes and Nolan Patrick, which just like isn't the top line anymore on Philly. Like clearly the hot line on this team is JVR, Couturier, and Joel Farabee. Brian, I just cannot believe that JVR is doing what he's doing. He had 23 points in 17 games going into today. And once again, like clockwork, right? Another one goal, one assist game. And that's obviously great for Couturier, who had a goal. Farabee, two assists. All three of these guys are unbelievable. Uh, like, I don't even want to ask you if he, they can keep it up. I'm sure you'll say, I don't know. I don't know what to say now at this point, now that we're sort of on edge here about like repeating ourselves over and over again. But we've got to say something, right? This line is unbelievable, Uh, So I don't know. Do you want to comment on them?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'll comment on them and just at least mention that how crazy it is, right? Because we know James Van Riemsdyk shouldn't be able to keep this up. This isn't going to be a surprise or a hot take by me or me just trying to be a bad dude. Like there's no way Van Riemsdyk can keep this up. Although this is the first year in the last three that he's never been on my roster uh, that I didn't give him that initial chance out of the gate. So, uh, so that's why it's happening. As long as he stays off my roster, I think he might be able to continue it. But one reason that tells me he won't is his on ice shooting percentage. We talked about Matthews and Marner's five on five on ice shooting percentages last week and where they'd rank amongst NHL power plays. So James Van Reemsdijk's is even higher. Than Mar- Matthews and Marner, so Van Riemsdyk and his line mates are shooting with an eighteen and a half percent success rate at five on five, which is higher than the conversion rate of twenty three teams' power plays, which is weird because that's five on five for Van Riemsdyk and five on four for the teams on the power play and with all those extra shots that are going in that probably won't once regression hits for James Van Riemsdyk, he's double dipping on those points, getting in on 90% of the goals scored while he's on the ice. His primary assists are off the charts. His secondary assists are off the charts. So James Van Riemsdyk is just uh, like... Going nuts right now, and none of it is sustainable. Or, of course, a portion of it is, but I wouldn't get too pumped about them. Um, uh, that whole line are going to turn into pumpkins soon, uh, which is, uh, you know, they're already wearing the right colors for becoming ones. So they're halfway there. My question to you for Van Reemsdijk, Elon, in the same vein as I asked you about Backstrom, would you sell Van Reemsdijk for, well, you said no to Zabanejad and Malkin. Would you
1: sell Van Reemsdijk for those guys? I mean, at this point... I don't know Brian like J- JVR like if you you would have said this like probably two three weeks ago and everyone yeah. would be hating you so much if they traded JVR for either of these people so at some point you just would be like this is a new version of him maybe obviously he's not going to be like above you know 1.5 points per game or whatever he's at right now but this seems like the kind of guy that can't sustain being worth at least like a point per game a 70 point pace which is probably more than I'm expecting from a Taylor Hall at this point so I think that answers your question and somehow if Joel Farabee is still out there get him because he's playing with and- and- Couturier is obviously great like we already knew he was great so he's probably going to continue to be successful so now that JVR gets to play with him and not like a worse center like he was earlier in the year like just all signs are pointing up I wish I held on to Faraby in the cupful I had him for a couple of games then I let him go and yeah. I wish I grabbed JVR when I could have
2: you let him go because he went cold and you're like that's the end of that and then he got this like this is definitely easily one of the hottest heaters that we've seen a line get on that doesn't deserve to stay on it with Faraby Lawton and James Van Reems. Like, there's just no way that this continues. And it's wild that it's lasting through. We're at 18 games now where it's almost been running front to back. There were a handful of games right at the start of the season after Faraby's four-point debut when everyone rushed to get him. they did nothing for five games. And now he really hasn't stopped for the last 10. Uh, it's going to end. So yeah, go get them while they're hot. And I understand it's hard to part with them because everything is like, no, they've done it for 20 games. It's going to keep going. It's not. This is a great chance for you to get some extra value from these guys before they come crashing back down to earth.
1: You know, you said uh, Farabee, Lawton, and JVR. I don't know why you said that. It's, it's, Sean Couturier has been Hell their yeah. center on the top line. And also Farabee, Couturier, JVR, Giroux have been on the top power play. So, I mean, you can't get much of a better spot. I'm loving these guys. I don't know. By the way, another guy who's in a really good spot that we haven't seen there in a long time on that top power play. Like I said, Giroux, JVR, Couturier, Farabee, and Shane Gosperer was quarterback in the top power play for Philly today. He didn't get a point, but in his previous game, he made up for that by having a power play goal and an is And six shots on goal. That was on Wednesday. Then he had another goal on Saturday versus Buffalo. So Ghost Bear, out of nowhere, looking maybe like the Ghost Bear of old. And obviously it's super early to say that, but it's pretty wild that he's on the top power play ahead of Provorov, ahead of Eric Gustafsson. I don't know how long it's going to last, but right now I think that if you need defense, why not grab Shane Gossesbehear? Maybe this will turn out to be like when we recommended grabbing Jeff Skinner a little while ago when he was on the top line on Buffalo. But at least Gossesbehear is doing something. So it's not only because of his current deployment He's also on a bit of a run right now. So I don't see why not give him a chance.
2: Well, you say that, but in today's game, Gossispera had one shot and nothing else. So you might say the run is over and we should have a short leash uh, on our expectations for Gossispera. But wait, can I
1: make a counterpoint? He was plus two. So he could have easily gotten in on one of those goals while he was on the ice. That's an IPP obvious sign that he was there for a goal and didn't get in on it. But I'm also seeing that he played three minutes on the power play compared to one minute for Pro-Rav and Sandheim.
2: Okay, yeah, so I'm not done. Like, I'm still very, like... (laughs) First off, you said it's out of nowhere. It's absolutely out of nowhere. And you said it's kind of like Jeff Skinner, but not because Gosses Bear actually has done something with, with this opportunity, which is also true. And I love that Gosses Bear is on the top power play. You're just saying, well, he's on this run. And I just want to point out the run technically ended today. There were no points. Oh, no. Uh, no not six shots. But yes, he's still on the top power play. So I am still interested, Elon, for as long as he's there.
1: Okay, so next up, what are we doing? So, what are we on here? Oucheries, right? Oh, yeah, because of I get it. We have some sort of a theme that we follow with this show, though, in the end, I like to jump around a little bit. So, Cam Talbot is back. Let's do another goalie. Uh, he stopped 27 of 28 in the 3 1 win over LA on Friday. Then, Kapo Kaknan, who was really good in Talbot's absence. Uh, was also good in the win over LA again on Saturday so now at this point it's kind of a similar situation to Washington right where it's hard to know who's going to be the starter like yeah Samsonov is back yeah Talbot is back these are the guys who we thought were going to be the starters uh, going into the year but Kakanen and Vanacek have both been good in their absence so d- should we just assume similar to Samsonov that like sure maybe Talbot gets first run but it might be closer to a 50-50 thing than we were expecting or should we think no like Talbot was brought in as a starter in the offseason he's been good it's not his fault like it's not like uh, Samsonov already disappointed in a couple games Talbot has been really good this whole time so I'm curious to get your sense of the goalie situation in Minnesota if you think it's similar to Washington or if it's a different kind of situation
2: I think it's similar enough. and I also thought Toronto might be the analogy, although I think Talbot owners have a little more to worry about than Anderson owners based on uh, their challenger's play. Kalkinen has been the better goalie this year over Cam Talbot, and I think Cam Talbot uh, managers do need to keep an eye on how things are developing. He seemed like a sure thing starter, but of course being out of the lineup for so long really opened the door for Kakinen, who took advantage of it, which isn't hard when you play goalie in Minnesota for a team that just plays such a strong defensive game and protects them so well. So that might be the difficulty for Cam Talbot is that, Kocknan can't really be that exposed or knocked down from the perch that he's found himself on. I still think that Talbot is the incumbent. And if I roster him, I'm not getting too, too sweaty about it. But I am at least thinking about it and looking if Kocknan is a free agent in my league and I need goaltending. I think I'm definitely open to the possibility that they're in a timeshare.
1: Yeah, so it's probably going to be tough now to decide if you had Cochran while It was out. Do you hold? Do you not? I guess we'll see what happens over the next couple of games. But one thing we are learning is it's good to be a goalie in Minnesota. Somehow Dubnik wasn't able. Like, even Dubnik in this great spot, he couldn't handle it, but most goalies do pretty well there. Like we talked about Alex Daylock before. Maybe he was playing a bit over his head. It's a good place to be as a goalie. And this Minnesota team is doing really well. Two wins on the weekend versus LA, like I said. This whole top six seems worth rostering at this point, especially for a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday schedule next week. You know, Fial Greenway, and Erickson Eck doing well. Kaprizov, Zuccarello, and Victor Rask all pointing like every game pretty much. Zuccarello now has 11 points in seven games on the season. So how about this? I'll just throw a, a ranking to you. If someone is like listening, like, okay, I want to go grab a Minnesota player for this good schedule next week. Here's how I'd rank them, Brian. I'd go Kaprizov, Fiala, and whatever. It doesn't really matter. They're probably, neither of them are probably available. So it doesn't matter if we, who we put ahead in, that, in between those two. But after that, I'll say Zuccarello, Erickson Eck, Greenway, and Victor Rask. But honestly, I like them all.
2: Yeah, me too. This is like the fourth edition of our weekly Minnesota Wild forward rankings, and yours sounds right. And I'm still just going to be okay with the fact that Zach Parisi is not a part of it.
1: Okay, so that's, yeah, we don't have to go too much into Minnesota moving forward, except to say that maybe Minnesota would be a good team to bet on winning some games this week because they've been winning so far. Maybe they'll continue. Brian, if people want to go play some bets on the Minnesota Wild, why don't you tell them how they can do that?
2: Yeah, it's gearing up to be a fun March for sports, and by extension, a fun time to try and make some extra money with my bookie. With March Madness right around the corner, my bookie is offering a shot at a share of 10 thousand dollars with the my bracket contest and it's only a single dollar entry plus there's a ton of nhl and nba action on tap and they've got not one but two UFC pay-per-view cards to bet on. So regardless of your favorite player or team, you've got the choice from thousands of lines and prop bets on all major sports, and it's all in one place at MyBookie. Do yourself a favor. Get a head start by signing up today with the promo code CARLSON, like Eric's last name, and they'll match your first deposit halfway up to a 1000 bucks. That's free cash credited to your account instantly on top of your deposit. The best part is you always have access to the action whether you're at home or on the go. Visit the website online online or on your phone at mybookie.ag and use the promo code Carlson to grab yourself a deposit bonus. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with mybookie. And of course, if you are going to play with mybookie, you might want to make a loss limit and a win limit and stop when you reach those limits. For more information on Responsible Gambling, you can head to responsiblegambling.org
1: okay so thanks for that sponsor now let's finish off the show with some cold streaks and then some hot streaks let's go to Montreal uh there's of course big news earlier in the week that Claude Julien was fired I saw a lot of tweets suggesting that actually like the Habs were playing well and maybe Julien was paying the price for Carey Price no pun intended really struggling and letting him and the Habs down uh Price is having a dismal season Brian he has an 888 save percentage in 12 games so far he was last seen letting in five goals on 29 shots in the 6-3 loss to Winnipeg on Thursday. Meanwhile, Jake Allen is somehow doing even better than his bounce back 927 save percentage 2019 20 season with the Blues. Like we already thought last year, wow, Jake Allen's looking a lot better. Hopefully, he could be somewhat as good as that this year with the Habs. But like I said, doing even better. He stopped 19 of 21 in the 2 1 overtime loss to the Jets on Saturday, bringing him to uh, 929 save percentage on the season in eight games. Plus, it should be better, right? I don't, I still, this has always been my theory that I think an overtime goal against should encounter against a goalie's save percentage? Because, you know, you look at 19 saves on 21 shots, you think, oh, that's not even that good. But it's probably a lot harder to save a shot in three-on-three overtime. But anyways, all that to say, Jake Allen has been so good. And Brian, are we at a point where we have to seriously consider Allen as a threat to take starts away from Price with Ducharme at the helm? Like, just like with Bob and Drieger in Florida, the Habs are still, like, right in the thick of the playoff race over in the North Division. They can't afford to, like, just wait for Price to get his game back on track while Allen is playing lights out, right? Like, I'm very curious to know, Brian... What should people do if they have Price on their team and or if they see Allen sitting in free agency?
2: It's really hard if you have Carey Price on your roster and you were hoping for anything better this year than the past couple. I mean, maybe some of that's on you. You were right to hope. It's always okay to hope. But it's funny to see all these questions come out about is Carey Price still elite? It's like we've been been telling you for the last few years – Uh, that Carey Price is no longer elite. It's been this way for a little while. This season in particular, Price ranks 36th out of 47 goalies, who've seen roughly 10 games played worth of action uh, by the Delta Fenwick save percentage metric. Uh, And Price has not looked convincingly good since 2016-17, which was the last time Price outperformed an average NHL goalie by any substantial measure. Now, I don't think Ducharme or the Habs are going to give up on Price, but I think Jake Allen probably has about the same amount of opportunity as Jack Campbell. Even though Freddie Anderson is out playing Carey Price, I still don't know that Allen has any more of an inside track to the job than Jack Campbell might. That said, I think there's room for it to be earned. So if you have Carey Price, you might want to find your nearest Habs fan in your division or league and see what the asking price will be for him there. And if you have Allen available, I feel like he might be a better version of, say, a Mike Smith or Miko Koskinen, right? Where you're not going to see a whole lot of starts. You're not guaranteed to, but you'll see some nice rate stats.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I might disagree with you, just... I don't know. Okay, Obviously, it's very tricky to predict what's going to happen with goalies. Uh, I just feel like, first of all, Jake Allen got the start on Saturday, right? It wasn't a back-to-back. So that was at least a very small sample of them picking Allen over Price. And I just wonder if they can keep doing well with Allen and net like the Habs have such a strong team they brought in all these great pieces in the offseason why blow it waiting for Carey Price to get better and obviously though that said I think Carey Price can get better and Brian I honestly shouldn't be bragging like I know you were saying how we told you that he hasn't looked as good over the past couple of years I definitely am guilty of going into this season thinking like this is going to be a huge year for Carey Price they brought in Jake Allen Price is finally gonna get rested and he could finally be the great goalie he can be uh so I don't know at this point I just feel like if if I had Jake Allen free agency, I would grab him right now if you can find a spot, just because I think there is a chance he gets a bit of a run.
2: Sure. So, okay. First, to speak to your point, you're definitely right that part of the Carey Price hope this year was thinking, oh, there's a backup, which there hasn't been for years. So Carey Price doesn't have to play as much as before, can rest. And that has, that plan has been executed this year. Carey Price has not played more than twice in a row And still is struggling. So I guess, Elon, my question to you with what you just said about liking Jake Allen. Hit me. Do you see him as more than, like, just to be clear, do you see him as more than a timeshare goalie?
1: I could see it happening. Like, obviously, it really... Like, I think the Habs need to go for it this year. They can't not make the playoffs because they played the wrong goalie. Like, that would be stupid. Like, they have Jake Allen. He's on a hot streak. So why not give him... I'm not saying, like, for the whole season, Allen will stick. But I think, like, right now, for the short term, I could see Allen getting a bit of a run while Price, like, figures out his game or whatever. But obviously, by next week, it'll be completely different because that's yeah. trying to predict goalies.
2: Yeah, I, I like, I'm not getting too bought in. If you want to take a swing, sure. And like I said, if you've got Mike Smith Or Miko Koskinen, you might want to, you could swap them out for Allen, but I see them, I see them being about as much as you could hope Allen to be, but maybe with some better rates.
1: I mean, yeah. I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, the Habs are having some trouble outside of just uh, their goaltending, of course. Uh, they have had Josh Anderson out for a couple of games. The Lions have been a, bit, been a bit weird, like Toffoli playing with Suzuki and Drew, and it's a nice upgrade for him, but you know, Anderson will be back and we'll see how the Lions shake out then with a the new coach also. Uh, speaking of line shakeups, there's a lot of teams that have shaken up lines that looked to be consistent like all from the beginning of the season until like this week, and we've finally seen things change, and now it's time to really adjust some of our expectations for some players who have been bumped, and I want to start in Florida where Jonathan Huberdeau has finally gotten onto the top line with Barkov so it's been Huberdeau with Barkov and Carter Verheggy so good news for Verheggy by the way who is like on a cold streak right now he has one assist in his last 5 games it's very hard to recommend dropping him if he's going to be playing on a line with Barkov and Huberdeau but i think the one player who definitely needs to be off your roster cuz you're totally snoozing if you still have him is Anthony Duclair who is now pointless in 4 games and was last seen on Saturday playing on the third line bumped from the top line down to the third line to play with, Etu Lusterainen and Mason Marchment. Uh, So I can't think of any reason to hold Duclair while he is not on the top line or the second line.
2: Totally agree. And I was someone who tried to justify holding Duclair even when he was in the top six and just not doing a whole lot. There were a lot of signs that Duclair deserved better than what he was getting, which made him a tough but justifiable hold on your roster, but him being moved out of the top six is easily the straw or something heavier than a straw that breaks the camel's back. i just keep him on your watch list, though, to re-add him if he does end up back on the top line because I I liked... What I saw there, and I haven't really found any explanation for why he was moved out of the top six and how long we might expect this to last. So yeah, if he finds his way back uh, next to Barkov, I am interested again. But in the meantime, I am not
1: okay so yeah follow at game day lines on twitter and you'll see the panthers are good they always tweet out line combinations for every practice so you'll always get the update on what they're doing for now i have a feeling that duclair isn't getting back there for a while why not stick with you know barkov and huberdo together it's nice but you know the thing is i would have thought then duclair would go to the second line but no it was frank vetrano who got he's like the only big beneficiary of this change Vitrano's gotten up to the second line to play with hornquist and wenberg and Vitrano has scored in two straight games has taken three plus shots in each of his last four games i always like Vetrano as like a stream when he has a good schedule because he's always good for shots and recently they've been going in and he's playing you know in the top six so I would definitely take uh, Vetrano over Duclair that's easy I guess an interesting question would be more like Vetrano versus Verhaggi. what do you care more about a hot streak or better line mates
2: I will probably go with Verhaggi. you know I, I think you agree I'll go with the better line mates over the hot streak unless I'm really just picking for one or two games and believe in the hot hand but you know me I don't yeah. so I will go with Verhaggi
1: okay yeah but definitely uh, people uh, take a look at uh Fetrano, for if sure. for Hague, he's already rostered yeah I like this run that he's on and he's always gonna have a chance to score just because he takes all those shots and he's playing with Patrick Horgfist who's having such a great season himself okay on Carolina the team that beat Florida on Saturday uh, they've also been shaking things up Jesper Fast jumped to the top line and he declared Brock McGinn down to the third line and out of fantasy relevance so forget about Brock McGinn now that was a really nice run while he was there uh, Jesper Fast he has assists in two straight games and it's got to be worth a look, playing on the top line with Ajo and Svechnikov, that seems like exactly the same as Carter Verhage playing with Barkov and Huberdo. So are you with me that Jesper Fast and Carter Haggy are like basically the same and take the one who has a better schedule if you want one of them?
2: Yeah, I would. Jesper Fast is no stranger to being this nice third piece on a top line. We saw him do it last year with Ryan Strom and Artemi Panarin. Of course, no power play deployment limits him, but uh, Jesper Fast is as holdable as McGinn was before. So if you grab McGinn, just swap him out.
1: Yeah, exactly. Maybe like McGinn looked a little bit better just because he was on like a really nice tear and he was scoring a lot of goals fast. Seems like he'll be more of an assist guy, which makes sense when you're playing with Aho and Svechnikov, You shouldn't be taking too many shots, I don't think. Uh, I do have a player I'm very concerned about on Carolina. He's on my couple team, so I need some advice, Brian. Nino Niederreiter is pointless in four games, and I don't know what to do with this guy because he had such a great start to the season—12 points in his first 16. And I look—I've never even been into Nino Niederreiter. I don't know how I ended up with him on my roster. I streamed him in, and then he just kept on scoring. There was nothing I could do. He's been playing, you know, with Trocheck a niche ass recently so it's not as if his deployment has changed too much but he's just gone cold i like carolina's monday tuesday thursday sunday schedule next week so i'll obviously hold him at least for monday tuesday but if he goes pointless in those two games as well i feel like i'm very tempted to drop him
2: I noticed that Nita Ryder's minutes have also been cut in these recent games, too. So not only has he gone quiet, but he's seeing less time. He's been between 12 and a half and 13 and a half minutes for three straight games before still not even seeing 15 minutes in Nita Ryder's most recent outing. And one of those games was Nino's first zero shot effort of the season. So a couple signs to be alarmed. I would watch the Monday game. If there's enough promising there, I'd watch the Tuesday game. And then let go if those minutes shots and points are showing no sign of reappearing.
1: Okay, and then another cold streak. Let's go to Dallas. Jamie Ben had a really hot start to the year. Only two points in his last eight games. So we've heard this story before, right? Jamie Ben already had a bad year last year. But then, you know, he showed us a nice playoff run. And we thought, oh, maybe with some rest he can be good. Uh, Then he, like, started hot this year. So he was intriguing. But at this point, is this just going to be another 2019-20 Jamie Ben all over again? Or do you see any reason for optimism that he could bounce back?
2: Nope. I'm not All even right. going to spend like, I feel like we spent so much time talking about the Dallas Stars who are not a good team this year. And I've seen arguments lately that they never were. And they just had Anton Hudobin go wild for them in the playoffs last season. And that's why they ended up being a Stanley Cup finalist, but they didn't actually deserve to be there. I actually see Jamie Ben, um, technically overperforming at five on five so far this year so there's not a lot to like about him going forward and i would not be too attached like i would actually the guy that comes to mind that we've already talked about on this episode is phil kessel uh, if you had to choose between one of them the rest of the season
1: who who would you choose no i'd quit the league like Neither. it's no yeah. fun <laughs> Like, uh, obviously like there's some upside with these guys, like they could go have a good multi-point game every once in a while, like we've seen, but yeah. I don't want to be depending on either of them for sure. So that's a yeah. shame.
2: Jesper fast over both of them.
1: Well, I don't know. Well, ben just has a, peripherals. Yeah. Just,
2: right. So there's peripherals plus just that you might want to stream that spot out even in like the cup full, uh, It's a league. Every roster has 18 players. There's 252 players rostered. I would not consider.
1: Ben would be tough to hold.
2: Yeah, exactly. i definitely consider dropping him.
1: Yeah, okay. Let's go to Chicago now. So I wanted to bring up Kevin Lankanen, who's on a bit of a cold streak lately. Actually, I was getting a little bit concerned with Malcolm Subban playing a couple of really good games in a row. I need then to he co-
2: interrupt you please. just right away, because you say he's been on a cold streak lately. But tonight, he has stopped 41. I don't want to <laughs> jinx anything, but 41 of 42 shots through 50 minutes of play against Detroit, who have somehow put 42 shots on net. I guess that's... Something Chicago is capable of doing is allowing that many uh, opportunities against Detroit. But uh, I don't know, Elon, maybe the cold streak has been snapped.
1: Okay, so you think just skip this part? Anyways, I was just going to say, and I was going to bring up today's game, I was going to say that Lankanen had a couple rough starts versus Columbus and Carolina recently, which was surprising, right? Because just all season, every time Lankanen's played, he's put up sparkling numbers. So, and then that combined with Malcolm Subban having a couple good games, started getting me to think that, oh, I wonder if Chicago's starting to slowly transition into more of a tandem situation. Though, if this weekend is any indication, Subban had a clunker, five goals against on 32 shots versus Detroit, and now Lankanen is putting up a gem. So, I guess not much to say. Clearly, We know your thoughts. You're super high on Team Lankanen. And then let's transition now to some hot streaks. Patrick Kane... Was pointless versus the Wings on Saturday, but still sat at 31 points in 22 games for 116-point pace going into today. And I see Patrick Kane has had a multi-point game today against Detroit. So he's on pace for the best season of his career, which is kind of like not something people were expecting this year. But why not? Patrick Kane just always surprises us. He and Alex Dabrinkit, who also has a multi-point game today, just they're meshing so well. Dabrinkit now riding a six-game point streak. Uh, like, I don't even have a question for you about these guys. They're just like so amazing. Maybe if you want a really deep cut, uh, 35-year-old Carl Soderberg is on a monster tear as well, riding a four-game point streak with eight points in his last seven games going into today. And I see Chicago scored five goals today. Let's see. Did Soderbergh... Oh, nothing for Soderbergh, but four shots. So I don't know. If you want someone deep, we've already mentioned some other guys, like your Jesper Fasts and whoever, but throw Soderberg on the list of players who are on hot streaks. Not in as good of a spot. Uh, I think he's playing with Khrushchev and like Matias Janmark. Uh, I'll bring that up also right now over on Frozen Tools Soderbergh with Jan Mark and Khrushchev. Yeah, so not the best line mates, but oh, but he's on the top power play, right? So again, everything's looking good for Carl Soderbergh. It's a decent stream.
2: Yeah, he seems to do this every so often, right? Remember the days when he was the avalanche's depth behind McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog? He was like the only other guy who seemed to produce on a semi-regular basis. So uh, it's nice to see Soderberg show back up on the scene. This is what he does, suddenly coming out of nowhere to provide some legit secondary scoring. Love this deployment for him that he's on the top power play. Uh, and a nice short-term stream, but not as nice is Colin Blackwell over with the Rangers, who's also on the top power play. Uh, He just came to mind to me. I mean, we had him plan to talk about on the show. Do it now. Yeah, I I had a choice to add uh, Blackwell or Soderbergh going into today's action. And I chose Blackwell just because uh, all week I've been like, okay, I think I'm going to add Blackwell today. And I don't. I'm like, ah, I should have. He got a point the next time. Ah, I should have. He got a point. And then finally, I added him today. One goal on five shots, three hits, two for what that's worth. Uh, That seems to pop up in his game from time to time. But yeah, top power play deployment, playing uh, on a line with Ryan Strom and Chris Kreider that seems to be clicking pretty nicely. So if I had to pick a short term stream, I would go Blackwell over Soderbergh. But they're both decent choices
1: yeah these are the deep cut section of the podcast but maybe not right like Soderbergh and Blackwell if they're on this top power play they can produce like they've been doing uh Rangers went cold again today losing 4-1 to Boston but before that a lot of players were on hot streaks right Kreider had like five goals in his previous three games Strome seven in his last four basically everyone was doing well in the Rangers except for me because of Chad, who continues to go cold so sad for me and anyone who's holding him and we're still hoping for better times moving forward uh here's another random name from the Rangers Ryan Lindgren four assists in his previous three games before today uh obviously the rangers only scored one goal today it was a power play goal from blackwell from lafreniere and k-andre miller who's another defenseman on the team who probably you want more than ryan lindgren but i don't know we brought up Gosses beher earlier as a defenseman to grab i assume we want Gosses beher more than lindgren like who is lindgren he was on a hot streak so i thought i'd bring him up and actually while you're looking up the answer to this Patty's reminding me that uh patrick Hay not only having a big game today but he scored his 400th goal so there you go. Patrick Kane keeps on putting up these accolades. But Brian, Ryan Lindgren, who's this guy? Uh,
2: yeah, 23 years old, a second round pick of the Boston Bruins back in 2016, 49th overall, who uh, this is looks like his second season as a full-time NHLer. Last year, 14 points in 60 games. This is just like, I'm reading hockey DB to you, Elon. I don't know who Ryan Lindgren is. In, like, in, so in, fine, in,
1: you're yeah. saying long story short, you don't, you're don't. you not interested I'm in this not
2: I don't know this guy. I've never really heard of him. I think you can probably look past him and not regret it too much. Although he is seeing, uh, like, you know, he's seeing top four minutes and top pairing minutes some nights. So he's definitely getting some good time on ice and is doing some good things with his peripherals. Uh, Five hits, three blocks in his last game. Uh, Sometimes puts up fours in one of those categories. So uh, definitely worth a look if you're looking for, like, I don't know if I'd say even a fourth defenseman, but a fifth or a sixth.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, he has four points in his last four games, probably not going to keep it up. But like you're saying, there are some peripherals there. So another name in your very deep leagues. There you go. Ryan Lindgren. Uh, Let's do another hot streak now. Thomas Shabbat. so that's a defenseman you might be a little bit more interested in, even more than Shane Gosses-Beher. He's got five assists in his last three games. Uh, He missed a couple of games after being hurt, but since he's come back, he's been great. Uh, Shabbat had a slow start to the season, right? But he's really heating up now, up to 14 points in 20 games for a 57-point pace. Do you think, like, putting the slow start with the hot streak he's on right now, and does that make that 57-point pace he's on something that he can sustain moving forward, like, altogether? Is that around what we should expect? I
2: think I think so. I think Thomas Shabbat is really, really, really good. And you can see it when he's on the ice. Like, he he makes some really clever plays, uh, seems to know how to set up some offense, and he's got crazy ice time right? He saw 29 and a half minutes a few games ago against Montreal, and is like almost always above 26 minutes a night. The Sens are going to ride this guy into the ground over the next, well, hopefully decade, although I won't get... I hope so. I'm not going to jinx anything. I just hope so. And I think uh, so long as they're doing that, and so long as he's consistently... I mean, there's not much challenge. Although Eric Brandstrom coming on in Ottawa is a pretty nice uh offensive defenseman alternative but it's still Shabbat's job for sure and I like a lot of what I'm seeing from him this is just a chance for me to be happy about an Ottawa senator right thanks for offering that to me
1: well, I'll give you another one because Ben and Lewis on short shifts poured some cold water themselves on Drake Batherson, who was on a goal streak. And Lewis is here in the chat, so I can hold him to task. Uh, so maybe Batherson was listening because he was like, Yeah, you think I'm not going to be able to sustain this goal streak? Well, he scored again on Saturday versus the Flames, just despite Ben and Lewis. So that's now goals in five straight games for Drake Batherson and goals in six of his last seven games. So, Brian, are you going to agree or disagree with Ben and Lewis's assessment that? Drake Batherson being a premier goal scorer is not something that could be sustained.
2: Well, premier goal scorer, I'm not sure exactly what you're asking me, but right now he has seven goals on 52 shots. And I think that's perfectly reasonable. Like he might take about two shots a night. He might score on more than 10% of those. So over the course of a season, uh, this doesn't add up to premier goal scoring numbers, like maybe a 25 goal guy, but he gets some real good power play deployment. And I think he could legit carry a 55-60 point pace, which is really nice to say after uh, having seen him get these really weird uh, like semi-benchings at some point over the year so far, and was threatened to be a healthy scratch at 1.2 in Ottawa. So yeah, he has five goals on his last 12 shots. That's not going to keep up I acknowledge that, but I actually, about a week ago, had been looking at a bunch of guys whose uh, shooting percentages were unsustainably low, and Batherson was one of them. So I honestly think this is all just a correction, and if you look at him pacing the way he's pacing with a goal uh, every, like, four games, that could be a fair expectation for what to expect over the course of the full season.
1: Okay, yeah. So definitely you're saying grab him if he's still out there. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, he's not going to keep up a goal every game, but you're saying you've liked what you've seen under the hood even beyond this stretch. So that's great. Uh, good for the Sens, who are like winning some games all of a sudden, looking pretty good. And if they could get the goaltending, uh, we'll see if, uh, what's his name? Joey DeCord might get a game next week, I've been hearing. And I actually have him in one of my dynasty leagues. So I'm curious to see if he's going to do anything with that start. Uh, so Columbus. Oh, here's something we actually talked about last week. And I remember that I brought up how Elvismers Lickens was injured. And then you gave a long reason why people should and grab Eunice Corpasalo because he's been really bad this year and in fact he generally hasn't even been that great for his whole career aside from a couple of good stretches and he said that whole thing and then I remember afterwards I was like I don't know. I'd probably still grab Eunice Corposalo. And you're like, what? Didn't, weren't you listening? And I was like, I don't know. And so I don't know, since that, he hasn't won a game, but he had two 930-plus save percentage games versus Chicago and Nashville. And he got the start again today. So for volume, you're definitely enjoying Korpisalo. Uh Today, he led in three goals on 29 shots against Nashville in the 3-1 loss. So all of a sudden, Columbus doesn't score which is weird, because before they were having all of these like 6-5 type games, and now this week, when they're starting to get somewhat decent goaltending, now they can't put goals on net. So I'm sure is having a great time over there. Uh, so maybe we could call it a push, in terms of if who was right or wrong, about whether or not you should add Corposalo, because I think he was good for volume, but obviously didn't get you a win, so it's not helping you in a lot of leagues. And here's a question for you moving forward, because Merzlikens, I think, is still going to be out long-term, so you're going to be seeing a lot of starts from Corpusalo. But from what we've been seeing from Detroit today, as they continue to get shellacked, uh, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of Bernier over Thomas Grice. So moving forward, Corposalo versus Bernier, who would you want?
2: I'm gonna take Jonathan Bernier. I guess you would hope that if you took Corposalo that Columbus figures out the rest like everything all at once. But I also don't know that Corposalo can really hold himself steady until, as we mentioned last week, that defensive system is really in place in Columbus. And I want to see that happen for over a week before I get too excited about Corposalo, because I think he really does thrive only when that protection is there. And Merzlikens will be back at some point, too, to challenge. And right now, Grice does not look like much of a challenger, even when healthy. So for that reason, I would still go Jonathan Bernier. I'm feeling like you, Elon, just talking up Bernier all the time. I, do you disagree? Are you still going to stand by Uh
1: I think you have a better chance to get wins with Corpusalo.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: Maybe you're right. better rates than Ber- I don't know. I think it's a really tough one. Honestly, Depends I don't really know you're the answer.
2: what you looking for. Like, you'll see more saves for Bernier, and I think you'll see at, at least as good a save percentage. You are yeah. going to lose out on wins, but I would trade off a little bit there for more on the other two.
1: Yeah. And plus I should, like, like I said, like Bernier has won three games (laughs) over the last few games. So like, it's not as if he won't get any wins. If he keeps playing well, that usually a goalie playing well helps you win a game. Uh, and like I said, Detroit's taking a lot of shots today. I don't know. What a weird team. What a weird situation, but at least put those guys in the same tier along with John Gibson, right? Like it's like goalies who are going to play a lot and they could be good. They could be bad, but they're going to play a lot and have shown glimpses of being good at the very least. Uh, maybe one last hot streak or maybe a couple. Okay. Nick Letty, how is Nick Letty on this list, Brian? He has eight assists. I don't know. His-
2: <laughs> I don't even want to acknowledge that
1: he's on this list. <laughs> eight assists in his last nine games going into today, where he picked up another assist. So make that nine assists in his last 10 games. Nick Letty is someone that we've hated for so long because he's held a top power play spot on the Islanders, keeping players that we thought should have had more upside, like your Ryan Pulocks, like out of that spot. Now Letty's off the top power play. So you think good. And then last couple of years, he's been like not even a 30 point guy. And all of a sudden- He's scorching! He's getting a point every single game! So I know that we're, like, upset about this because it's making us question the world and whether we're just in a simulation and if anything is even real. But assuming that the world is real and we're still going to be playing Fantasy tomorrow and Nick Letty's still in a lot of people's free agent list, at what point do they need to just go and grab him and ride the hot streak?
2: I guess in line with the rest of our advice this episode, now? Just go get him and then know that it's going to fizzle know also that five of the assists on this run have been secondaries, just a lot more secondary points than primary points, which I think is the reason, like secondary assists, we mentioned a few times on the show for anyone who's not familiar. It's just like, if you are the second last person to touch the puck before the goal was scored, there's a like reasonable chance that you weren't so incremental in making the play happen. And you just happened to be in the right place at the right time to be able to cash in. So that's the reason why to just. Trust anybody whose secondary cis rates are through the roof, which includes Nick Letty right now. I I would just shake my head. Like I don't know. I'm so scarred from all our past experiences with Nick Letty that I don't even know if I could bring myself to add him, despite this hot run he's on. But in the same vein of, I guess Scott Lawton, uh, Joel Farabee would be sacrilege. I know because of how like super hot he is, but. You could go ahead and add him until he's not hot anymore. I think this is like he might be the defense equivalent to Pavel Zaka.
1: Oh, okay. That's a good analogy, I think. Uh, Lenny, by the way, looks like he did get the most power play of all the Islanders today. And his assist was a power play assist (laughs) on a goal by Oliver Wallstrom, who had a goal. And he's a rookie, and he had two power play points today. So not much even strength ice time, but he got some time on the power play and was producing. So there's a deep cutter for those people who like Dynasty Leagues or Keeper content. There's there's the name, (laughs) Oliver Wallstrom. Not that I have much to say about him.
2: Yeah, Wallstrom is on a nice little run himself. Five points in his last four now. And a lot of that is because he's playing with J.G. Pajot, who is also just going off right now, which is also not sustainable, so don't get swept up. But another guy who's on a hot streak that you might want to look at for the short term. But yeah, Oliver Wallstrom making an impact somehow, seeing 10 minutes of ice a night on a four-game streak. I'm not sure. This would be a fun thing to look up. I don't know if any of our listeners have the capacity to do it. But what the longest point streak is for a player who, during that point streak, saw fewer than 11 minutes a night.
1: That would be a fun question. Maybe I wonder how many you need to break that record. Uh, Oliver Wallström is definitely He's surprising up to us. four. Okay. Yeah. Normally you don't expect any points with that low deployment. Uh, so, Brian, I guess that's it for everything we had planned. But then right before we started the show, we discussed a couple of things. We're like, oh, let's throw it on. So you were mentioning that you're interested in Ellie Tolvenin, who's been on the top power play on Nashville. So why don't you tell people why Tolvenin has piqued your interest?
2: Yeah, I'm not going to say I'm interested in him, but I'm going to say he's at least raised my eyebrow on that top power play, which is very nice. And also at five on five, he's found himself playing with Granlund and Philip Forsberg. So we've seen him get very, very short looks in Nashville in the past, but now he's up to 15 minutes of ice a night, which is not something he's ever really seen in his past looks. And he's also got 11 shots over his last four games playing on the top line and the top power play. And Like I said, I'm going in circles here, putting up points, doing that too, which is key to probably holding that kind of deployment. So he's definitely now on my watch list. I, I don't know that I'm going to, like, he's had this blue chip pedigree and been an exciting prospect name for so long and has failed to deliver in his cups of coffee to date. So I come in with tempered expectations, but it's exciting to see a glimpse of hope here when there has not been one in his previous... Seven to fifteen NHL games.
1: So, Brian, in, in a keeper league, in a dynasty <laughs> league, do you like Oliver Wallstrom or oh Ellie Tolvanen? You know, That's I'm not hard.
2: the right person to ask this. I think I would lean. I don't know. I I would lean Wallstrom. But who that's knows? only because he hasn't had as long to disappoint me as Tolvenin has. That's what many of my prospect picks come down to.
1: <laughs> I know who knows. It's Victor Nuno and Jesse Sevier on the Fantasy Hockey Life yeah. podcast. So tweet at Victor and he'll tell you who's better between Tolvenin and Wallstrom. Uh, and then we had a tweet from a friend of ours, L.A. Frankie, who's very upset. With Mark Stone, and I feel like a lot of his being upset at Mark Stone is just because Vegas hasn't played a lot of games recently, so it just feels like Stone isn't producing in forever. But yeah, he's been cold over his last five games, one assist in his last five. He did have 16 points in his first 12 games, though. So when LA Frankie was like, "Can I have permission to?" Draw? or let me get the exact wording of what LA Frankie said. He was like, "What's going on with Mark Stone? He's begging to be dropped. But what would you advise owners in a keeper format? Like, in a keeper format?" So I mean, like, I don't want to Please make fun, of do course. It, don't drop. Yeah, hold Mark Stone. I'm sorry that he hasn't been good for five games. And I will point out, the lines for Vegas have been a little weird lately and not necessarily in Stone's favor. He's been playing on a line with Chandler Stevenson and Alex Tucks. So he was split from Pat who played in the last game with Riley Smith and Cody Glass, and then Marcia so, William Carlson, and Nicholas Roy. So obviously Vegas is messing with their lines a little bit, and I guess it worked on a 3-2 win over Anaheim on Saturday. But... Like, regardless. Like, Mark Stone is the top star on the team, and he's not going to go cold for long.
2: Yeah, he's going to be okay. He's on a point-per-game pace for the full season, and I think looks okay there. By the way, Elon, you mentioned Nicolas Roy.
1: You mentioned oh, like that. Patrick? Are they yeah. related? Uh,
2: I I don't think so. Uh, Nicolas, yeah.
1: Nicolas Roy.
2: <laughs> Nicolas, I think, is what Nicolas it Roy. Okay, yeah, enough of this uh, this our attempts at French pronunciation. Mark Stone still good, although I will mention one reason for LA. Frankie to be legitimately tilting is uh, like Mark Stone has never been a huge shooter, but this season he is deferring a lot more than usual. His shot rate at even strength is half almost of what it was the year before. And his first year, his the fir- when he first got to Vegas, he was suddenly shooting more than he was shooting in Ottawa. And now his shot rates are actually back below where they were in Ottawa, which weren't great. So um, you can't even expect two shots a game from him right now, which is about as low as he got at, at two shots a game when uh, he was back as a senator. So it's a little disenchanting to see. And we'll see if that keeps up. But like the points should make up for whatever uh, half a shot a game deficit there might be this year.
1: Yeah, I just feel like it's the kind of thing where Mark Stone has earned like a very long leash, like a whole season of long leash. Same with Mika Zibanejad, right? Like You're not going to drop him even though he's cold, because he's earned like a long leash, and I think Mark Stone's probably earned even more of that than Zibanejad, because he's been a star in the league for a little bit longer. But okay, with that, Brian, we've covered a whole lot of ground, so I think we're going to have to stop here. This has been a wild ride. Thanks, everyone, for listening all the way to the end here. We hope you've enjoyed it. We'd love to get some feedback, right? If you like the show, if you think the show could be better or different in some sort of way, we're doing this for you, so tweeted us at keeping Carlson. Obviously we're happy to answer all of your advice questions on Twitter as we do all the time, but uh, we would also love feedback, let, let, let us know what you think of the show. Uh, if you like the show, we'd obviously love a five-star review over on Apple podcast. That helps other people find the show. Uh, it doesn't cost you a thing. And then if you want to do something that helps the show and does cost you a small thing, uh, we have our Patreon program over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. We have a, just a really fun discord community where it's really organized. Well, where you can ask advice questions and it makes their own threads or we've got game day chats And just a whole bunch of other stuff going on. It's a blast. So why don't you check it out by uh, becoming a patron at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Uh, If you're listening to this on Monday, it's March 1st, which means you won't get charged for a whole month. You basically get a free trial. You can always cancel your patronage if you don't like it come March 31st. So take our free trial offer and become a patron of Keeping Carlson. But okay, with that, Brian, I am done. So let's cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits?
2: I will, but before I do, shout out to the big spenders in the cupful this week. Brett of the Blazing Turtles in Tier 2 San Jose spent $23 fab on Ryan Ellis. Nick in Tier 5 Anton, manager of the team Iron Lotus, spent $18 on John Gibson. And William of Jake and Big in Tier 4 Sodertalje. I've never had to say that out loud on the podcast, but there it is. Spent $17 on Josh. Morrissey. You can hear more about those big spenders and all the other happenings in the Cuckupful on the Cuckupful Stat Attack, which is a podcast that is linked to in our show notes. It's all about the Cuckupful. You should definitely check it out. And with that, I am ready to read the credits. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons. Logo art from brandonweeb.com Outro music by Pat Roach Research with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap-Friendly, Tarting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo.
1: Great job as always, Brian. we got a big week ahead. Like you said, the stream scheme came out. The couple stat attack is coming. We've got two big short shifts episodes with Ben and Lewis. And then I'll be back to talk with you about all the happenings of the first week of March. Next week, looking forward to it.
2: Until then, remember, fantasy hockey is for everyone.